Hello, you're listening to Down the Rabbit Hole, the show about children's books on Resonance 104.4 FM, or you're listening on a podcast. Hello, I'm Hannah Love, your host for this evening, and today we're going to be discussing vampires in children's books. Did Twilight ruin everything, or are you ardently pro-Twilight? How do you feel about cute vampires? I am hugely excited to say that as well as my co-host, Sam Sedgman, we are joined by two guests who are here to discuss their very different vampires. We've got Amy McCaw, who this year released her atmospheric Mina and the Undead, a love letter to the 90s and absolutely hair-raising. And Harriet Moncaster, whose Isadora Moon, half fairy, half vampire, has been delighting children for years. Hello, everyone. Hello, thank you for having us. Hello, guys. Welcome. Great to have you here. So we're going to kick off with vampire books in general, but I feel like I have to point out, uh, obviously everyone listening can't see this, but Amy is in an amazing room full of vampire stuff. I can see what I think is a cuddly spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There might be a spike and angel puppet sort of vaguely above my head from an angel episode, which there wasn't even a spike puppet in it, but the company decided to make one. And I have a Buffy library, which is slightly off screen and a graveyard with Spike in it. So for people who can't see, if you just imagine like all the Buffy merchandise that there ever was is behind me right now. It is gloriously gothic. So I think this this kicks us off into our our discussion of, I think, the earlier vampire books, because I think there's been a great uh, resurgence of vampire style books coming out at the moment. But I kind of wanted to talk about Vampire books that we might have read when we were younger. What is, you know, what was the first sort of vampire book that you remember reading? What what are people's memories of vampire books? So mine was the horribly inappropriate interview with the vampire, which I read on holiday when I was maybe 11 or 12. And I don't think I'd really come across vampires before, or if I had, I'd not given it much thought. I was just really intoxicated, I think, by the idea of these kind of beautiful, mysterious people who stayed young forever. And that really kicked off for me. So I started way too old and then worked my way back and read some of the younger teen stuff after that. I, my attitude to vampires very different i suspect to amy's based on her most <laughs> oh no <laughs> so like some people will like read anything with a vampire in that yeah, is not me. me i'm not exactly you i'm not like inevitably drawn to something because it's got vampires i find them fascinating but i like them to occupy a quite grown-up place in my head because as we will discuss later i kind of think they are very adult you know, violent, gory, blood, sex monsters, perhaps. <laughs> like, I'm really curious to dissect how these have ended up being a staple in children's books. Let's put it that way. Um, so the first time I remember reading a book thoroughly, like vampires scared me as a kid. So the, the thing that I, I ended up reading the, my first vampire book was there was a trilogy of books called the Switchers trilogy, which I don't know if mm. anyone mm. remembers, by an yeah. author called Kate Thompson. And the first, it's about um, kids, it's like British animals we've talked about <gasps> before uh, so it's about kids who can turn into animals basically in the first book but in the second book it gets way dark because some of the they meet some kids who realize that they can turn not just into real animals but mythological creatures Ooh. and there are these kids who've decided to turn into vampires so that they can live forever and it's it was like a whole sudden twist away from Hannah's making a face this it sounds amazing <laughs> oh my god premise and it's stayed with me for all this time so that book was called Midnight's Choice and it was the whole series about how you know the kids grow out of this ability you know they can I think until they're 15 they can turn into an animal a bit like you know Philip Pullman's demons in in the His Dark Materials trilogy and then it's about whether or not you make the choice to live as an animal or live as a grown-up or do this weird 
bargain with death thing that these kids have done to turn into the undead but yeah like so it got me from that sense in that it was it was grappling with questions of existential dread classic teenage sam um uh, situation <laughs> although i think i must have only been 12 when i read that book so yeah the very early doors for me there what about you harriet well, the thing is, I was racket, racking my brain because I I have not read that many vampire books. Because really? I have read, I, I did read Twilight when because I, I picked it up in um, Waterstones um, before it even became big. I think I just picked it up because I thought, I'll try that. And I, me- I read that. I think I finished it. I don't really remember, you know, that much of it, really. I never really watched the films. I think that was the only one I read as, mm. as a child. <laughs> Literally, I don't think I read any other vampire books. I don't think I did either. So it wasn't, don't worry, it wasn't a test. I, I, I think, <gasps> yeah, they're much more present now yeah, than they were when we were younger. And I think, you know, we've talked many times on this show about how the world of children's literature is wonderfully fertile and rich and broad now, much more so than it ever was. And I think Twilight in many ways has been that, oh, that the gateway to being like oh vampires are cool we should all write about vampires kind of thing or like vampires being in the consciousness to the point where a really young reader will know what it is because mm-hmm. when did yeah, you know that... what a vampire was so that was one of my next questions because I, and I want to talk about what we think you need to have a vampire is because weirdly I think the first like vampire thing that I ever consumed was Mona the vampire you know um, that had the little like Mona the vampire show us your fangs it's literally all I can remember about it but I still knew what a vampire was and I don't think I don't think I read Dracula until I was like 16 17 maybe I think I did it at a level so I'm just wondering it's such a um, such a sort of general consciousness thing that we know that vampires have certain attributes and yet I was thinking about all of the vampire books I've read and none of them have the same rules for a vampire like I was trying to think I can't think of a single other vampire book other than Dracula that is is like has a big thing about garlic being something that you can keep them out of your house with um i'm just trying to think i feel like i might have read some like more adult comics that have kind of played with that as a trope Mm -hmm. and sort of laughed at it um i think in my book i mentioned and dismiss it um i'm saying Mm -hmm. i think i can't even remember it definitely (laughs) wasn't a big thing i don't know i think the books i read as well i'm following on from what sam said um i read a lot of teen books like point horror and Fear Street Mm. and Nightworld and I think some of those Nightworld certainly the first book was all about vampires I think it was called Secret Vampire so I think around the time I read Into the Vampire I I was reading things like that about these kind of sexy alluring teen vampires Mm -hmm. but I can't remember that first time I think the vampires for me were just another thing you could be at Halloween like another kind of plastic Mm -hmm. costume and I don't think it became something I was really into until those books came along Buffy came along not long after that and it was Buffy that for me kind of I know we're not talking teams we can talk Buffy we can talk Buffy oh good I've got permission to text them right (laughs) I'll get going there um but yeah I think all those things came at similar time for me that really catapulted vampires into my consciousness as something exciting but until then they were just another creature on the list of Mm -hmm. creatures because mm. Harriet when we'll, we'll talk about books your specific books um a little bit later but obviously Isadora is half vampire and I love that you've been able to pick the little bit like her bat wings I think are my favorite how did you sort of design her with pick, like sort of picking bits from fairy and vampire because my, my godson is obsessed with Isadora Moon by the way oh. um he adores them oh that's so nice to hear well so she started as I guess the thing with Isadora 
well, with most of my characters, they start out very strongly as just a, a visual in my head. So before I even realise, like, maybe even what they are, I, I can sort of see them. So I'd drawn this little character and she had, well, actually, originally, I think I was thinking, oh, a witch fairy, that would be a cool mix. And I knew I wanted to do a book in black and pink with the contrast of gothic and like candy pink. But then I'd drawn this little um, character and she had these little bat wings. And then I just added these little fangs on her. And just literally, because I liked the look of them, that was it, it was the aesthetic of those fangs. And then I was like, but why would she have fangs? And then it like clicked that actually she could be half vampire, not half witch, half vampire, half fairy and then that would be the sort of perfect mix of like the black gothic side and the pink sparkly fairy side and so that's how that that came about it was because I just drew the fans and thought they looked cute that was actually it it was the aesthetic of the whole thing because if I'm honest I don't actually really like vampires I think <gasps> they're gross <laughs> I don't oh like the blood drinking this um, is this is a cats versus dogs episode. All over again. <laughs> then, I, well, I like the aesthetic. I like the I like the aesthetic of them. I like the um, all the the look, the glamour, all that kind of thing. I I just really don't like the blood drinking. It's squeamish. See, like, so I, Hannah, you asked what are the things that they need to have, right? And I feel like mm-hmm. everyone, most people, seem to agree that like blood drinking at the heart of it even though often that's often subverted with, you know, vegetarian vampires or vampires that have given up eating people mm-hmm. or whatever. Because um, they've got to be scary on some level, unless, of course, they don't. We've got to talk about a lot of cute vampires, I think, later. But I, I, for me, I think I, you know, like you, Harriet, I don't love a vampire just because it's a vampire. I like vampires for what they're able to do from a storytelling perspective or whatever. So I, I love the you, they can't come in unless you invite them thing because Fun. that makes an interesting story dynamic. The garlic thing, I'm like, eh. But then the, similarly, the, like, you know, this isn't a book, but one of the most interesting, the interesting things about the show True Blood was they were like, yeah, vampires, they can't handle silver. And everyone was yeah. like, but that's werewolves. But they use it in such an interesting way. Like, ditto, like, the, the holding up the cross thing. Like, I don't think that's mm-hmm. particularly widespread, but it's good because it it's like one of the things you can defend yourself with. Like, it's an interesting mechanic of how the vampire works. That's what I think you often need, though, is it's almost like checks and balances, is that yeah. they're so powerful. So you need to have a few very random but very important things. Like, in Dracula, there's actually a flower as well that they use. I can't remember what flower it is that's used to keep vampires mm. out. I was going to say that I think the consistent thing, and it was really interesting from Harriet talking about her description, is fangs. That's the yeah. thing that I think is every vampire has to have is fangs. I don't think I've ever seen a depiction of a vampire without fangs. I think the light thing is variable. Yeah, because um, I like they sparkle. They sparkle. Mirrors is variable as well. Mm, um, yeah. Crossing mm. over running water. Is that a Ooh, thing? I had. I thought that was a werewolf thing, but I oh, could I be wrong. The, in, the inviting them thing in, inviting yeah. them in thing is often not the case. Because you'll get characters who think that's the case and then it turns out that big yeah. reveal, they can walk in anytime they like. Mind control is an interesting one as well because oh, I think yes. like what you were saying yes. about checks and balances, I thought a lot about mind control and I realised that in a murder mystery, it's not that fun if every vampire can mind control every human because it raises any progress that they're kind of making through the mystery. Um, yeah. So, I, And I, I find that really insidious and scary as well, the idea of mind control. But on the subject of blood drinking, I actually like the blood drinking because 
I think you're going to say I love you. Yeah, yeah, just full stop. I like it. That's why <laughs> I thought you were going to go I'm just going to go now. I have actually got a bottle of true blood here on the subject, yeah, there we you go. know, for those who can see me on screen. Your commitment um, thrills me. This is I amazing. I love I know. it. But I like the idea of blood drinking for vampires because I think otherwise vampires get to be really sexy. They get to kind of not live by society's rules. They often seem to have a big mansion, loads of money. I quite like the fact that there's something disgusting and wrong about them as well. And almost that you can play as a bit shameful. And I like it with the vampire stories where, you know, the tortured vampire has been done a lot. But I think it's fun, Mm -hmm. the vampire wrestling with what they've got to do in order to live and the cost of being a vampire i think if it was too easy to be one um it wouldn't be as interesting and it wouldn't be as conflicted and that's kind of what i enjoy exploring the most and i think it lends itself to that ya context that sort of thinking about who you are as a person it's like a vampire thinking about what i am as well mm-hmm. i think that's true actually that makes me think of and we'll again do more recommendations later but a book that i've been reading recently um there's a new ya book is called um, baby teeth i don't Ooh, know if anyone's come across that, it no. so it's from little island press and it's it's all about identity because it's these vampires who they're almost a bit more like phoenixes and they are born into a new life and they can sort of remember or take one thing from each life um, into the next one. And it's a love story as well. It's absolutely beautiful. It's by um, Meg Graham. And there is that sort of the, the cost of being a vampire and that be and whether it's worthwhile and whether people would actually want such a thing i do think that comes up quite a lot it does come up in buffy people wanting mm. to be a vampire let's move on to your book amy because because i loved mina and the undead oh, and i also you. couldn't work it out which is always a joy uh, <laughs> the big reveal was a shocker can you introduce us to mina and the undead and mina herself because it's just such a joy Thank you. So Mina, like me, is a girl from Yorkshire and she, unlike me, sadly, has a sister who lives in New Orleans. So she goes to stay with her sister and they've got this fractured relationship that they're hoping to rebuild. And of course, they want to do it at the context of a vampire festival. So she goes to this vampire festival. She enjoys all the spooky things in the city. She gets a job in sort of a haunted house experience where they act out murder mysteries um, from horror movies. And she's having a great time until she finds a real dead body in the mansion. And she realises that somebody's killing people in the style of local myths. um, And she has to figure out who or what is doing it before she becomes the next victim. And it's so chilling. The first dead body absolutely freaked me out. Because I was like, oh, she's just got, she's got, you know, she's going to have that moment when she realises that actually it's just a really good prop. And then it wasn't. And I was just like, oh, my God. That's the most fun thing, I think, about because there's a lot of play acting and people wearing costumes and fake blood. I loved doing that kind of pretend horror versus real horror and I think I just want to play with that kind of trope forever because it's so fun and I think I learned that from those early teen things like point horror there was a lot of the kind of friend who does something really awful like pretends that they're dead in their friend's bedroom then jumps up like I'm not really dead you were really sad and you know it's not real and I don't quite go to that extent but I do like that sort Mm -hmm. of blending of reality and real horror and fake horror. I was going to ask you about your inspirations and I have written down point horror feel. Um, also, yes. I have I have to say the cover of your book uh, and the design team behind it, it, it's like a VHS tape. It just immediately yells 90s uh, and you. sets the scene before you even open it. It's just great. What I, I also wanted to sort of, you obviously have um, like a, a lot of vampire inspiration uh, and so on. And what other like vampire novels have played into creating Mina? So I think the main one is not a novel. It's definitely Buffy because I discovered Buffy at age 12 to 13 and it's it started just before that. 
And I love the idea of this teenage girl fighting real monsters in her life. So the sort of hard things about being a teenager. And she's also fighting these like monsters on screen um, that represent the monsters in your life. So, you know, the episode where she's fighting some frat boys and they worship a monster that makes them powerful um, for the rest of their lives um, at university. And I just, I really like that idea of a teenager finding themselves in the context of this dark world. Um, but I think definitely you're right. It's the point horror night world, um, a trilogy called The Forbidden Game, which is very labyrinth. A group of kids get sucked into a board game and they have to face their fears um, to win the game and defeat this evil elf king. And I think all of that kind of mythology, reality of being a teenager thrown together with Buffy is what you get in Mina. I feel actually with the Buffy thing, we just have to say in case uh, Harriet and Sam don't know this, can you explain what your amazing publication day present was from your best friend for this book? Uh, okay, I don't even know whether you know the full story of this. I basically. don't know this story. So I came story. downstairs on the day of my launch and my husband said, I've got a surprise for you. And one of my best friends, Shelley, was on the phone and um, they said, you need to watch this video and show us your live reaction. And they'd paid for James Masters, um, who plays Spike on Buffy, to do a publication video for me. So he talks about my book and he talks about being an artist. And I just sat and cried. But the funniest thing was Shelley had organised it and completely separately. My husband, Kev, had done it as well. So I have two videos from James Master to congratulate me on my book. Oh, so, did you share yeah. that online? Yeah, I, I did. think I, I think I did see that. Yeah, at the time. I think they both That's shared amazing. it. They because then they they kind of got in touch and went, "Oh, what have you got, Amy, for a present? I don't want to get the same thing." And then they realised that they had. That's they know nice. me really well. That's I mean, you could look in my room behind me and you can see the kind of spike fascination. I've met him <laughs> about. I think I met him about five times in real life at conventions. Wow. Um, so yeah, I really like James Masters, so it was amazing and really weird to hear him talking about my book and sort of like talking about how hard it is to put art out into the world. It was the perfect time to hear that when my debut novel was about to come out. He really committed. I watched this video as well, so I'm bringing it up. But I thought it was lovely. Like, he really took the time to talk about your book and the creation of it. It was lovely. And it was just also just the perfect vampire present. Yeah, uh, exactly. I thought as well. I've said now that... Every book, though, I feel like I want that now. So my husband set himself up. <laughs> have a different <laughs> cast member of Buffy. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you've got the complete set. Progressively more expensive as you get to it, so Michelle Keller. I was going to say, Buffy's such a touchstone for people, and your book is is um, very 90s. Um, and I just wondered if... Because people were talking for a while, like, after Twilight, about how, like, vampires were, like, in vogue, and then we were getting, like, zombie time with, like, The Walking Dead... Do these things come in like phases? Was there like a season of vampires? Yeah. It's really strange because the day I got my agent, it was, I think, oh gosh, September 2017, I think. Um, The same day I found out a book called The Beautiful by Rene Ardy was coming out, which is New Orleans vampire book. And that was all I knew at the time. And I was like, no, my New Orleans vampire book (laughs) is about to come out. Like, this is a horrible coincidence. And actually hers is historical and it's fantastic and completely different from mine. And it's really strange how two people can independently have an idea to set it somewhere. And also there's a book which I'm going to recommend later, but I'll mention it now, um, called Vampire's Heart and Other Dead Things by Margie Houston which is a beautiful book about dealing with grief and how living forever might be a solution to human illness. And it's fabulous. And that came out this summer. So this year, there were two books set, mine in 90s New Orleans, hers in modern day New Orleans, that touched on quite a lot of similar subjects. So I think it can happen. Like 
you do have a mood. And when I, when Twilight came out, I'd written a vampire book and I was really annoyed because all agents instantly went, no vampire books. So I was like, okay, I'm going to shelf that thing I've written. I'll probably never read it again because it was, you know, my early 20s, really an experienced writer self. But yeah, so I think everybody turned off vampires and then they shifted it to angels and demons and werewolves. Mm-hmm. And it just slowly morphed into different creatures. So it was still paranormal romance, but you insert an angel or, you know, whatever else. And I loved loads of those books, but it just, vampires swept away. And then these scary vampires seem to be coming back in, which I really mm-hmm. like. I love the fact that Harriet's books are really cute vampires. And I have read, I think most of them, I need to catch up on last couple. But the, the aesthetic of vampires can be cute and funny and sweet. They can also be like silly and ridiculous in um, what we do in the shadows and things like that on TV. And I love that breadth of vampires that they can be all kinds of things and at the minute there's that much stuff coming out I'm just really excited like Mm. Into the Vampire new series and yeah yeah so all that let's talk about cute vampires and the the fact that obviously Isadora is, is so cute what do you think makes something that is technically meant to be so scary something that kids really love as well is it that kids love things that are a bit scary or because I was thinking actually one of the first vampires I ever came across was the Count from Sesame Street who is you know has a a big place in my heart and we also now have um, Amelia Fang as well which is another young vampire series um, which is hugely popular and a picture book that I'll come back to called Vampire Peter which has only recently been released but it's a picture book with a vampire in it and I just what what do you think the as, as someone who doesn't love scary blood drinking vampires what's your feeling i mean i love a spooky vibe and i love a gothic Mm -hmm. look but i don't like it to go too far i don't like (laughs) it to get too like gory and scary um so although i just want to say i do love mina and the undead like actually that is i was so gripped when i read it i read it last year and um it is it's one i mean it is one of the few vampire books i've read because I haven't read a lot of vampires, but I, I loved it. I think it was the book I read the fastest last year. Like it was. Oh, amazing. So oh, that's good. commendation. Um, it was the story is <laughs> just so good. Um, but um, anyway, um, yeah, what was the question? Uh, the appeal, oh, yeah. appeal of vampires to younger children. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So I think probably with children's books, obviously the illustration has a huge amount to do with it, I think. So it's probably maybe something to do with the look of of the characters because they're not scary looking I mean he looks quite sort of daddish but he's just sort of wearing a cape and he's got fangs and um um I don't know I mean he's quite I I kind of play on a lot of the sort of the things with a vampire with the they like to be really sleek and groomed and um so he's very fastidious about his his um, grooming regime of doing his hair and all his hair gel and all this kind of thing. And he drinks red juice. He doesn't drink blood. Although initially, actually, I think when I did the first draft, I did just put blood in because I just assumed. But I think it was the publisher who suggested (laughs) maybe let's, it's a bit grim him actually going out and then having illustrations of him drinking like glasses of blood. So let's maybe make that red juice. So we did that. And yeah, I think that works better. I love how that can be a euphemism, though, for an adult. <laughs> yeah, God, yeah, it's juice. red juice. That's true. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Because, think, yeah. Sorry, I, Sam. I was going to say that, like, the, you know, I write in middle grade and I write mysteries and I often end up trying to make things a bit more adult than they're allowed to be. And, you know, often don't kill that dog, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> We've talked about this before. But, like, I guess 
my curiosity about the concept of cute vampire is you like necessarily have to block off most of the fundamental realities of what makes a vampire a vampire in order to make it palatable to a younger reader. Um, I should say, I say palatable, asterisk, little swerve here to a school event I did a couple of weeks ago where like these seven-year-olds were really enthusiastically talking to me about Squid Game. Okay, oh, like, and I was like, whoa, you love that show where everyone gets shot in the head? Okay. Um, so, like, it's not that they aren't interested in it, but I, you know, a lot of kids would be very scared about the realities of vampire stuff. So, so I think of vampires, to me, are a fundamentally grown-up adult trope. And because, you know, like you, like when I was a child, I wasn't interested in them as a thing that related to me as a child until I got to that stage of having to wrestle with the adult world, which is why they, you know, have always been a sort of white hot flashpoint for young adult books where, you know, we're dealing with all these big dramas. So it's been fascinating to see the growth of it as a really recognisable and interesting and appealing character to, to younger readers. I guess I don't understand mm -hmm. why. <laughs> I think I do to some extent. I was a very princessy little girl, so I loved Disney. You can't understand what happened to me. But <laughs> there was always that little, like, when I was nine or ten, I suddenly got into horror and it was point horrors and stuff. And I think if when I was six, seven or eight, there'd been books like Harriet's and there'd been books like Amelia Fang, which kind of had that, like Harriet said, is the aesthetic. I got into a lot of creepy stuff, like, you know, Jack Skellington and Nightmare Before Christmas. I prefer the aesthetic to the actual thing. Like, I love the merch. I like the film, mm. if that makes sense. Um, mm. So I think that the aesthetics of vampires, and like I would have, you know, eaten up, dressing up as a Isadora Moon for Halloween and stuff like that with my little cute fangs and stuff, that would have done it for me. And I think as I got older, it, it's a great gateway into the scary sides of it. Like I was going to mention some when I accidentally interrupted you earlier. My toddler loves the creepy stuff in my room. And I don't know whether it's because he's been exposed to it from birth, like this is all he's seen. But like he picks up my little scary vampires and he doesn't know what they are, but he instinctively like growls them. Like I've got these little <laughs> like vampire figures and he's like, ur, ur. I think there is something about creepy things. Obviously, he doesn't know what a vampire is, but he knows it's a bit creepy. It's also cute. And he is drawn to those things. So I think mm. children do have a taste for it, even before they know what those things are. Well, my, my daughter, who's four, also seems to really love horror. She will sit on her own in a room and watch the whole of Coraline, which I think is quite scary. <laughs> it is. Before, with scary. The, the mum at the end, like... She will, she will sit and she will watch a lot. She watches Paranorman. She watches all kinds of it, all kinds of, I think, quite scary things for a four-year-old. And she loves them. I think she's going to love horror, like my husband. Mm -hmm. I think she's got that from there. Like, she really likes that kind of thing. There must just be something innate and fundamental that's an interest in the otherworldliness mm -hmm. that comes from a young reader. And they see it in vampires and they're like, yes, this is, this is what I want. I don't this understand it. But this is me, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Amy you mentioned the sort of Disney princess thing and coming to it a bit later. Were you reading a lot of the books in the sort of paranormal romance boom of what, like two thousand and seven to thirteen, fourteen, so, maybe? Yeah, so I can remember when I bought Twilight. It was in a shop in Florida. Um, we, me and my husband, now had just got engaged, and we'd gone to Florida to check out Disney World, which is where we got married in the end. So Aww. we were there with my parents, and um, in a Virgin mega store, I saw this book with a black shiny cover, red shiny apple, and on the back it says something like oh, I don't remember the exact quote, but 
that she knows that Edward's a vampire and that he could kill her, but she's also irrevocably in love with him. And I was just like, yep, sold. Don't need to read anything else. (laughs) And I consumed all of that paranormal romance stuff. I I maybe got slightly fatigued with it at the very, very end when it had been really squeezed out. But I read a lot of it before that happened. And I think for Twilight, for me, there was just an incredible allure, which some of it I now see as problematic as an adult a lot. And some I refer to in my book as problematic. I kind of alluded to some of Edward's behaviour. Mm-hmm. That some of the vampires' behaviour in the book I kind of point out as being problematic, like, you know, watching a girl sleep might not be a great thing, or like joking about biting a girl's probably not that cool. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's something about this kind of strong, immortal figure who's seen so much and who wants you, the normal little teenage girl. I just think early 20 and teenage me that was kind of what I wanted to read I think that's it I think that's the enduring thing about Twilight it's that you the clumsy person who falls over all the time and thinks that you're really ugly you're special I think really struck a chord and it set the stage for a lot of other books like that where the love interest was someone that you couldn't have in real life and so it all played into the fantasy and you know it's like I hate to say it but it's what um led to Fifty Shades of Grey it also is the fact that the Cullens are really rich he's not just say that He's not just sexy and, you know, uh, invincible and irrevocably in love with you. It's also mega rich. And I think that that happens in a lot of them. I used to really enjoy a series called Vampire Academy, where you also had the element of like the history and the prestige of being a vampire means you have some filthy rich vampires in it as well. And I think there's that kind of everything is okay other than the risk of death in a paranormal romance. (laughs) is what I think sort of played into a lot of it. I like that about Twilight, though. Sorry, just to go on on about Twilight. I do like the element of danger that it was there, that it didn't just kind of say that Bella's fine around Edward. There was quite a lot of danger, especially, I think, from some of the other family members Mm. of the Cullens who were a little bit less in control than Edward. And I think that that's quite appealing as a teenager as well, when you're working out boundaries and your place in the world. And obviously you're not worrying about whether to drink blood or not, hopefully. Um, but you're you're worrying about other ways that you fit into the world and into your family and what you feel comfortable with and I think the Twilight actually does that really well yeah such vampires are such great mechanisms for talking about teen issues and having in a romance you need an obstacle so when you have a paranormal (laughs) romance you have the obstacle built right in so Mm -hmm. it seems more seamless rather than like oh no you have to go away for the summer Yeah, exactly. Oh no, you have to regularly kill people and drink their blood? What am I going to (laughs) do? First world problems. Um, Let's move on to recommendations because I feel Mm. that, you know, there has been a real resurgence. We've mentioned quite a few titles already. Let's start young. So I think uh, we've mentioned Amelia Fang, obviously, Isadora. I am going to quickly mention this book. This is Vampire Peter, which is an incredibly cute cute book from Ben Manley and Hannah Peck. And it is one of those ones that is really funny for adults, but just really cute for children. And it's about a boy who comes to school and he doesn't fit in. He's always in trouble. He's got a really difficult to pronounce name, which no one bothers to learn. And they all just call him Peter. He eats strange food that none, that everyone thinks is gross. It's not actually blood. I'm just checking. It's uh, eyeball- <laughs> uh, it's eyeballs and mouldy cheese and things like that. And he speaks a different language to people from home, which is brilliant because there's a little bit of lat- like Latin in the book. And then you get a translation at the bottom. And what it turns out to be is using the vampire as a vehicle for we shouldn't distrust people because they're different. And you really get that impression of the, like, you know, understanding cultural differences. And there's a bit where the um, the class 
gerbil goes missing and everyone assumes it's Peter because of what they've come to realise about him. And it turns out that it's the little girl who's the narrator. She accidentally left the cage door open and he's escaped. And when you look back, all of the things of him being naughty are looked at from a different lens and it's been him entertaining her and being friendly and sharing his, his home life. And I think it's a really good use of that vampire as strange and other and a bit scary and making it work for children and he does have fangs which ties into my earlier thing of he has the necessary toolkit so that is a big recommendation for me does anyone else have any other young ones i have a young one it's my only recommendation (laughs) it's it's the only one i could think of but um it is this one which is called vampire boys good night and i just really like it's by lisa brown um and i found it in foils in london And I just, it was the illustrations that really like drew me to it. And it's just, the illustrations are so beautiful and kind of, it's got that real like spooky but comforting vibe to it. It looks like a cross between Edward Gorey and Lindsay Dodd. Yeah. Like that kind of creepiness, but also the the like Harry McClary kind of illustration style. This is probably a terrible way of combining it. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, and they go to a party and um, they uh, they don't even, they don't believe that children are actually real and they go to a children's Halloween party. Uh... And, um, and um, he, the little vampire boy doesn't win the best vampire dress because he's not scary enough, the real vampire and something like that. It's really cute anyway. That's um, super so cute. I've never seen that before. Yeah, I've never seen it anywhere else except for just once in foils when I bought it. Um, Amy, Amy, Amy and Sam, what are your, your vampire recommendations? <laughs> Mine are more the YA end of the scale. Um, so okay. I, as I mentioned, Marjorie Houston's new book, um, Vampire's Hearts and Other Dead Things, is a really good one that's got contemporary feel, but explores vampires, um, the idea of immortality, grief, illness. Um, really beautiful and heartbreaking and totally different from my vampires, which I really like. Um, another one I really enjoyed recently is Vampires Never Get Old, which is um, a book of short stories edited by um, Zareda Cordova and Natalie C. Parker. But it's got um, loads of amazing authors in like those two book plus people like B. Schwab. Um, and it's just everybody's different take on the vampire, but in a really modern way. So a lot of them are feminist and um, some of them are through the lens of different belief systems. And I just loved it. It's got... Um, one that just plays on Lost Boys all the way through, which is one of my favourite vampire films. And if you're a vampire fan like I am, it's just a delight because there's so many different like ways of looking at the vampire. Um, so yeah, they're probably the main two recently. Mm-hmm. And then um, a couple of years ago, there's a book that came out called Whiteout um, by Gabriel Dillon, um, which oh, yeah. was published by Stripes. And I absolutely loved it. It's vampires on a ski resort and they're very much the bloody scary type. Remote ski resort, a load of kids go with a couple of teachers and they get trapped up there, they're snowed in, and the teachers get murdered, disappear, and these creepy vampires are out there in the snow and the kids are trapped. And it's got that real kind of vintage horror feel, and the vampires are just really scary. So that's the kind of other end of the scale from the cute vampires. Vampires being scary. I feel like it, I have to put a disclaimer with this because I did work on this book. But last year during lockdown, um, Melinda Salisbury's Hold Back the Tide came out, which I think is possibly one of the scariest books. But it, it, it's one where it, it, I think it's almost like reaching back more into just the what is the thing under the bed feel when you finally get to the vampire description it's nothing like a vampire in another book it's this horrible cold dead thing that's been underwater for years and I 
absolutely freaked myself out reading it. So um, I feel like now Sam's held it up and Amy has nodded enthusiastically. I feel okay recommending a book that I've worked on, but I, I do highly recommend that as proper scary YA. I think we should absolutely be including vampire books that are just legit scary because mm -hmm. you know that's let's not forget that you can reinvert and you know have so much fun with that genre and that trope but like at the end of the day they are supposed to be terrifying things <laughs> i do have a recommendation i'm very sorry listeners i'm going to cough a little bit because i'm feeling not that well don't know what happened went out a few nights ago with some very cool looking guys woke up in a graveyard <laughs> <a> strange <laughs> Been feeling that. a little sensitive in the sunlight. <laughs> Who knows what's wrong with me? Um, <clears throat> no, um, it's tonsillitis. But um, <laughs> I, I just wanted to, uh, like Hara, I, I haven't spent a huge amount of time with vampire books, but Hannah was very kind enough to send me a copy of Bunicula, uh, the, uh, the books one and two, which is just taking the vampire premise and making it quite ludicrous but also still plotty and putting it in a animal setting so Harold the dog and Chester the cat investigating why the tomatoes have suddenly turned white um, and is perhaps the new rabbit in the household actually not a rabbit but a vampire really simple lovely amazing premise and the perfect blend of silly and scary I think um, for bridging that gap when you don't want actually to be scared to sleep it's like Peter Rabbit gone dark <laughs> but, but Peter Rabbit was pretty eye-blindingly bright, so <laughs> twice <laughs> had some space. Exactly. Okay, so we're we're almost at the end, but this is our our opportunity for you guys to plug any events you have coming up or books you're working on. Is your moment to share? So I am working on the sequel to Mina and the Undead, which uh, we're going to be announcing the title very very soon. Um, on Halloween, there's going to be a little announcement Brilliant. on the title. I'm really excited about this one because a lot of the things we've been talking about, the vampire tropes that I haven't had a chance to explore, um, people who've read book one will know that the vampires don't come in right from the beginning of the book. So now that the reader knows that vampires are real, I can have fun with that and just kind of hit the ground running. Uh, Harriet. Uh, well, I am working on more Isadora. There's more Isadora coming and uh, more Mirabelle, who's Isadora's cousin, and another Victoria Stitch. <gasps> which is my middle grade. So number two is coming out in February and then I'm working on number three now. Amazing. And Sam? Well, I would be, I don't have anything new to plug, but I would be remiss not to remind you all that the most recent Adventures on Trains book, Danger at Dead Man's Pass, is a very spooky story uh, inspired in part by Dracula, which contains, let's not forget, a fantastic trans-European railway journey. Uh, <laughs> my favourite part of the book, let's face it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a very spooky story. If you're looking for a spooky adventure uh, this Halloween, I do heartily recommend that. Excellent. So before we finish, I want to remind our listeners about our page on bookshop.org where you can buy all of the books that we've mentioned today, as well as a few that uh, Sam and I might have been sent, but we haven't got around to talking about. Next time, we have a very exciting episode for you. Uh, Caroline will have two guests um, talking about blended families or uh, less traditional family structures, which should be a really interesting episode. Um, thank you so much to our listeners for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at DTRH Radio and go to DTRHradio.com for more information about us and our past episodes. Thank you so much for joining us, Harriet and Amy.